on this podcast where we take you through the exciting, scandalous lives of some of history, mythology, literature and contemporaneity's most deviant women. Yes, and funny that we should be your hosts as usual because there's no one else doing it. No. I mean, obviously it's us. It's us, there's always us, there's Who no else surprise. Is gonna, what if you started listening to it and it was somebody else? But what if somebody just started listening to this episode and it's their first episode, they don't know that it's us. Why would you start at episode three, season two? Because maybe... Why would you start here? Well, maybe it's because they find the subject matter of this particular episode to be the most interesting to them. That's true, I suppose. I got really angry about that. That's yeah. fine. Welcome new listeners. Welcome new listeners is what we should be saying. Cheers to you. We've got Cheers a glass of you. wine. Cheers to you, Lauren. Where's our wine from? I don't know. (laughs) Should I know? Not knowing makes me sound like like an ignorant wine fool. We are South Australian, Alicia. I think it's from South Australia. I'd probably say it's just from South Australia. You're supposed to know. Yeah, I don't. Can't Mm. add, and I can't be bothered going to get the bottle. So you know what? It's red. It doesn't really matter. It's just a red wine. Well, the reason why I asked is because... The bold red wine that we're drinking today. Oh, does it link? Does it link? No, not not really. It just made me think of where we're going. Where are we going? Where are we going today? We're going to South and Central America. Oh, is South and Central America a place where red wine is... I don't know. I don't know. But it feels like it should be. Because the place where we're going is... South and Central America, when it was still under Spanish rule. Oh, okay. Well, then that kind of makes me think. Yeah, all right. So when I'm thinking about... Spaniards and Spanish language and Catholicism. <laughs> you I think, think of wine! Think of wine! The body of the blood of Christ! That's right. Obviously. Obviously. That's what we're drinking tonight. We're <laughs> drinking the blood of Christ. So cheers. Cheers again. Yes. Thanks. So you've already told us where we're going in the world. Mm. Fabulous. Yeah, well, it's actually technically the Vice Royalty of New Granada, which makes up present-day Venezuela, Bolivia, Colombia... Ecuador, Peru, and Panama. Right. So it's obviously still while the Spanish are there and in rule. So that when would be a correct the... assumption. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So whereabouts in history does that put us? Um, it puts us at the uh, early 19th century. Mm. And in fact, we're really going to be exploring the heat of the, the heat. Ooh, the heat. The, the, the fiery excitingness of the Revolution. Oh, the revolution. All right. Yeah, awesome. yeah. There are many um, revolutions. So that, we'll talk about this. Yeah, this is a revolution. A revolution. One of the many revolutions. One of the big ones. That occurred. So today's subject mm-hmm. is a woman who was, I'm hoping, affectionately called the gentle, crazy mistress of Simon Bolivar. The gentle, crazy mistress. Yeah. That's or, so affectionate. Or amiable madwoman. Amiable madwoman. These are terrible I, nicknames. I know. I know. I can only hope that Simon Bolivar meant them affectionately. 
affectionately. Affectionately. And Bolivar, he was a revolutionary, wasn't he? He certainly was. Yes. Well, I mean, as you said, we're talking about the revolution. He was a revolutionary with very grand ambitions. I mean, I actually well, think... revolutionary doesn't have grand ambitions? Well, I mean, I think that he kind of secretly idolised Napoleon. Um, so those kinds of ambitions. I think uh, he had, like, empire-level ambitions. Yeah. It's not good to idolise Napoleon. <laughs> I don't think. If you're going to choose someone to idolise, not Napoleon. Well, he did. Mm. He was also only five foot five. So much like Napoleon, much like I think Napoleon actually might have been a little bit taller than that. <laughs> he wasn't even as tall as Napoleon. Yeah, actually, do you know what the thing about that is that apparently French inches are different to English inches. Oh, come on. That's what all the boys say. And so <laughs> it's like actually like a bit of a cultural myth that Napoleon was as short as he was because it's actually his height in French inches is not the same as our contemporary today's oh, really? inches. Yeah. Oh, that's not anywhere near as funny. So, oh, yeah. oh well. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about the life of a woman named Manuela Sáenz. Okay, and I like I, it. I hope that I said her name correctly. I would say Manuela Sáenz. My good. apologies for my unfortunate Australian tongue with the Spanish language. Oh, look, Spanish does not roll off the Australian tongue no. all that beautifully. <laughs> I've been trying for years. So. <laughs> yeah, so my, my apologies in advance for any blunders that have any of our South American fans with their palms resting firmly <laughs> on their foreheads. every time we say a name. Yeah, so I'm going to try my best. Yep. Here we go. All right. Let's, Let's dive on in. in. Let's dive on in. Well, uh, Take us to the revolution! <laughs> well, a little Manuelita was born on the 27th of December, 1797, in Quito, which is present-day Ecuador. Indeed. Part of the Viceroyalty of New Granada. So as we said, this is when that kind of belt of Central and South America was under Spanish colonial rule, mm. which is, of course, unsurprisingly why there's going to be Revolution? Revolution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Now, she was unfortunately a bastard. Her Ooh. mother of the relatively upper class, Maria Joaquina Ezepru, she fell in love with a married Spanish nobleman, Simon Sáenz Vergara. This is her mother that we're talking about. Yeah. These are her parents. That's her okay, parents. Yeah, yeah, right. Her yeah, parents. Yeah. So her father was a successful businessman and aristocrat with six children and his own wife. Aye. So this is a scandal. Oh, yeah, scandal that could potentially ruin him. So everything's got to be hushed up. It's also worth noting, though, about her illegitimacy. It could have had quite an impact on her future prospects and on her father's prospects as well. According to Spanish canon law, there were two categories of illegitimacy. So you mean when you say Spanish canon law, you're talking about like the church? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So hijos naturalis. And hijo is a son. Yeah. Actually, an hijo is just a child. There you go. A natural child, yeah. which is, I suppose, very similar to the way in English, it's a bit old-fashioned now, but you'd say the natural daughter of blah, blah, blah. And that yeah. means mm-hmm. unmarried. So these are children born of single parents who could theoretically marry each other. So that's okay. That could be fixed easily. It's fixed. Just it's get fixable. A sh- just a shotgun. Shotgun wedding. Perfect. Fixed. You're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then there's hijos espurios. Oh, that sounds bad. And these are children born of incest, adultery, or of the clergy. What? I find it weird that incest and adultery get aligned to the clergy. Well, basically that means that your parents can't get married. Yeah, true that. All three of those categories, mm. your parents are doing the dirty when they definitely can't atone for the dirty. Yeah. There's no 
no way yeah. out of it. I feel like incest is something that like sits on its own. In it that should. Case. Uh, it like, should. It's not really the same thing. <laughs> no. Incest. Just, no. Incest is another whole other problem all of its own. No. But I guess in this situation we won't dwell on that. We, we shan't. No. Because <laughs> unsurprisingly, these children carry the additional sin of their parents' crimes, and so mm. they suffer from greater social stigma. And so, unfortunately, as the child of adultery. Our Manuelita, she falls under this category. Um, And apparently this status lit in her angry character a desire for revenge that would never be extinguished. Ah, dun-dun-dun. So this also gives us a little bit of a taste of what's to come. She's quite a... Revenge against who? Revenge against... The world. The world. Against the church. The patriarchy. Yeah, against the... Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. Her mother was banished from her family for the transgression of her pregnancy. For fuck's sake. I know. (laughs) It's going to come back around again. So hold on to that. We'll keep that in mind. So little Manuelita grew up in the convent of Santa Catalina. Her father, though, did acknowledge her as his natural child, and he paid for her dowry for her to be accepted into the convent, which was 1,000 pesos. Really? Yes. And to pay to get accepted into the convent? It was a dowry, just the same as getting married. Oh, my God. I did not yeah. know that. And the more... I thought you could just knock up. Knock not... up. I thought well, you could just rock up so and knock on the door the... and be like, hey, can I come into your convent? The, the thing is you, you kind of could, but there's different status of nuns. Yeah, that's So true. not all nuns are equal despite the... <laughs> not all nuns are created equal. No, it really it depends on the size of your dowry. If you've got a big dowry and you're from an important family, you, as a nun, will have a far cushier life than a woman just off the street. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it doesn't make sense in that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's fair. That's yeah. how it, I mean, it makes, like, in obvious, the church, yeah. everyone should be equal yeah. and have an equally uh, humble existence. Yeah. But that's, oh, that's a naive thought, isn't no, it? No, it is, it is. But I do want to say we have, in our live show, actually, we kind of talked about party convents. Oh, we did, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> Party convent. I've got some good news for you, Alicia. Is this a party convent? She's a fucking party convent. Oh, yes. She's in a party convent. Yes. So obviously here she learnt the normal things like reading and writing and praying. Then she also learned things like dancing and smoking. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, so party convents. Yeah, we did talk a little bit about this in the live (laughs) show. So what we mean by this is basically like there are historical convents where the rules were pretty lax the rules were lax the nuns got up to a bit of hanky panky with each other yeah 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 and it was basically like some of like i'm just being honest some of them kind of sound like they're modeled on like separatist feminist utopias it's just (laughs) like you know what fuck the patriarchy and men we're gonna go build some big ass fucking walls around ourselves and have our own community and do whatever the fuck we want yeah yeah and we're gonna call that a Convent. convent we're going to but it's a feminist, feminist <laughs> utopia yeah the dominican mentors here were described as quote masters of sensuality oh wow yeah and the convent was infamous for allowing the nuns to have their own maids and live a life of luxury oh my god mm. this is the convent of all convents yeah so she was allowed out on sundays and so it seems that she spent a bit of time with her father's family he allowed her and encouraged her to visit her half brothers and sisters frequently so her father was also a royalist which is important at the time Mm. because ecuador which was then the vice royalty of new granada 
was a Spanish colony. Mm. But the rebellion was starting to set in. And so when Manuelita was 12 years old, she watched from a balcony as soldiers brought shackled rebels into town who had been arrested for declaring emancipation. And as the rebellion grew, her own father was arrested and imprisoned with other royalists when the government was briefly overturned. Okay. Nonetheless, at her father's home on these visits, she also developed a close friendship with a servant, a black servant who was a couple of years older than her, named Yonatas. And I assume that... All the sources that I read kind of made mention of the fact that she was a black servant. So I assume that played a role in the intimacy or the strangeness of the intimacy of their friendship because they really were very close friends. And Yonatas taught her the art of survival and the trick of pleasing everybody, <laughs> including herself. And so what I assume that this means this is, is interesting. sort of like how to become a bit of a chameleon, you know, like how to mm. not like manipulate people, but how to bend people to yeah. your and when you like, say the art of survival you're not talking about like she didn't take her out in the woods and teach her to like to hunt bears no. and to spear fish and to build like no. a and to build a hut out of twigs what you're talking <laughs> about is like how to get by in society that's right how to like street smarts yeah street smarts weird how to be ignored when you need to that's be ignored right. because there are those times when the whole point of survival and especially for servants and especially for those of the lowest classes mm. is to just to blend into the invisible. background yeah. to be completely invisible to be like a chameleon that's how you, you fit survive. into your surroundings yeah. exactly yeah i imagine that's entirely what it is but also she learned how to ride a horse oh, yeah. astride like a man oh and how to fight with a sword and pistol nice yeah so she's got some skills and on her Sunday outings, as she grew into an older teenage girl. Now, also, I should mention that according to some sources, she was a child when she went into the convent because her mother died when she was quite young. According to other sources, she was a teenager when she went into the convent. So I'm not sure. But either way, when she was a teenager, on these Sunday outings, she also met a young officer named Fausto. Or Fausto. Yeah. yeah. This is me waving at him sexually. <laughs> Hi. Um, waving sexually? <laughs> she learned from the nuns of sensuality. <laughs> she so. did. That's so true. And it seems that she, much like her mother, was drawn to exciting illicit affairs. And like her mother, these exciting illicit affairs were banished with banishment. Oh, banishment. Banished from the convent. Banishment from the convent? From the party convent. But where do you banish? That doesn't make sense. Usually when you have an illicit affair, you get sent to the convent. Yeah, not, they kicked her kicked, out. Not kicked out yeah. of a convent. Or, according to one source, she went off with Faust, Fausto, one Sunday, and simply never returned. Oh, okay. So either way... She's out of there. She's gone. So following the scandal, she returned to live with her father. And it wasn't long before he arranged for this troublesome bastard daughter to guess what? Oh. How do you deal with a scandalous, troublesome bastard daughter? Well, I know. He's already tried to send her to the convent. So I'm going to assume that the next step is to get her married. Of course. But clearly not to good old not, not on my No. Not to Fausto. Not to Fausto. To a much older, very wealthy Englishman. The 40-year-old James Thorne. Oh, wow. 40? Yeah. And how old is she? She's like I an think, 18 still. She was, I think, 20 when she married. Oh. Yeah. I'm sure she was delighted. Turns out, thrilled. He was a bit of a thorn in her side. Apparently, she found her new husband to be exceedingly dull and called the marriage supremely ridiculous, and he found her to be 
Troublesome. Troublesome. <laughs> yeah, Troublesome. We have heard this story before. Oh, we sure have. Oh, yes. The marriage was supposed to redress her sullied reputation and allow her the opportunity to sew and sing and pray and become just like all the other good, legitimate, Catholic, aristocratic wives, modest, humble, and submissive to male authority. <laughs> You're just painting me the sound of music here. She's Julie Andrews. <laughs> but. She's going to make dresses out of the drapes. Yes. Out of the curtains. Out of the curtains. And like all good Catholic wives should. Yeah. But do you think that's where her story's going to go? True dad. Is she going to sing and pray and sew How do you her solve a problem clothes? like Manuela? <laughs> no, she's not. No. I assume she's not. No, she's not going to. <laughs> um, in 1818, Thorne took his lovely new wife to Lima, which is now Peru, the seat of the vice royalty. So this is where everything's at. While he was often away on business, she would take care of his affairs at home, acting as a business manager of sorts. So Mm -hmm. she's getting her experience within the exciting world of managing business affairs. Yeah. Well, I mean, to to be honest, most wives did actually... To an extent. Oh, yeah. Have to have business acumen. They were. They were they managers. The, they managed the home affairs. That's right. So yeah. it wasn't just a simple... And they didn't... They often didn't just manage the home affairs. They really did manage their husband's affairs. Oh, definitely. Thanklessly. Yeah. Yeah. So she's doing... She's doing the hard Getting yards. experience that she's going to need soon. Mm-hmm. But Lima was not the worst place for an upper-class married woman. She had relative freedom here. And legally, she was an actual autonomous person... Unlike her married sisters in many other countries, such as the UK, the US and France, you know, whereby when as soon as you become married to a man, you become his property and all of your property is taken by him. Married women in Peru were able to retain their property and retain their own individual status as a citizen. Oh, Mm. that's interesting. Yeah. So it's quite progressive, really. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And she could also conduct business freely. And she could go out unchaperoned um, and mingle and circulate throughout the city. Yeah. So it wasn't the worst place to be. And it was here that she began hobnobbing as any good aristocratic wife should with some of Lima's political and military elite. And she learned some things. (laughs) Some things. Yes. In particular, she learned of the goings-on of the revolution. Hey. Yes. So you mentioned before that her father was a royalist. Yeah. But then obviously she wasn't much of a royalist. No. 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 Nope. Because... So he didn't bring her up to be a royalist. No. And also her brother, her half-brother, Jose Marie, I think, he was a royalist turned rebel. Oh, okay. Mm. Right. So... I guess it runs in the family <laughs> to an extent. Just a little bit of background on the revolution. A few years before, Spain's monarchy fell to Napoleon, right? And this sparked a desire for independence in the colonies from Spain's rule. So even though the monarchy was restored in 1814, this like fever of rebellion had spread. And by this time, the independence movement was led by General José de San Martín, a former Spanish army officer and an Argentinian, and another guy called Simon Bolivar <laughs> of he's, Venezuela. He's another guy. And another guy. There was two of them. Another guy. The San Martin. Bolivar. And Bolivar. Now, Bolivar is a name I do know. Yes. But I don't know much about. Just that he was a revolutionary. He was a revolutionary. Yeah. So San Martin had just liberated Chile 
and he had his eyes set on Peru, and the Patriots were set to help him. Mm. And this was very tantalising for a young woman of Manuela's disposition, and she became enthusiastic about the rebels' cause. Maybe it was to spite her father. Women were actually quite integral to the rebellion. Mm. It gave them an active political role as citizens rather than just as wives, and they were involved in, like, all levels of the rebellion, really. They were spies, nurses, arm smugglers. They provided food and clothings. Clothings? Clothing. <laughs> and in disguise, they often served as combatants on the front line. Well, I was going to say that, and especially if you've got, like, if you've got skills horse riding, yeah. and that's essential. Yeah, totally. And numbers are important as well. They also had a very special task, a role just for them, which was seducing loyalists and uh, getting them to defect to the Patriot oh, side. Oh, a little bit of feminine wiles yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, guess what Manuela did? I'm going to say she seduced some loyalists. She sure did. She became involved as a recruiter. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> and she was good at it. And her dedication to the cause earned her a Medal of the Order of the Sun. Wow, mm. that sounds impressive. It does sound impressive. I wish I knew more about it, but it sounds impressive. <laughs> Don't really know what it means, <laughs> but it's pretty good to have that. Well, she was added to a special role of worthy female patriots, which were women who stood out for their patriotic sentiments. Oh. Yeah, so she was pretty special. She was recognised quite early for her dedication to the cause. And because she still would have been quite young now. Yeah. Like, still just in the like 20s. Like early 20s, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. In 1822, her father came back to Lima and she returned with him north to Quito to visit her family. But how's her dad feel about all of her endeavours against the cause that he's all for? I don't know. Yeah. He might not have known. He, yeah, that's right. Maybe he didn't know. I don't, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But she left Thorn. Oh, hubby, English wet blanket at home. Wet blanket. (laughs) She arrived just before the Battle of Pinchincha, which was won by the Patriots, which freed Ecuador. So Ecuador had just won its independence. It was a very exciting time. Yeah, definitely. And so what year was this? 1822. 1822. Ecuador is free. And, of course, so the city begins to prepare itself for the arrival of its hero, Simón Bolívar. Bolívar. Is that how you say? Yeah, I just really, I just enjoy repeating it. Yeah. yeah. On June the fifteenth, there was a huge parade for this celebration, and so just picture it. There's all these men and women on the streets. Everyone's having a good time. There's some drums. Everyone's dancing. There's like confetti in confetti, the streets. Confetti, so much confetti. Yeah. And then on this white horse, Ooh. down the center of the parade comes the liberator. Simon Bolivar, he's resplendent in his uniform Ooh, and, of course, the centre of attention. There were masses held in his honour. There were banners unfurled for him. Just picture women literally throwing themselves at him and probably fainting as he passed. And, of course, Manuela was present and quite keen on this gentleman upon his horse. Uh, she was apparently dressed quite well herself uh, so much so that quite a lot of witness accounts from the event pay particular attention to how good her breasts look in her white dress. What? 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 Yeah. What? In a really kind of weird, creepy way, there are, like, accounts of the time that talk about how from, I think, below, her breasts looked really good in her dress. That, uh, that's just odd. 
Yes. But more importantly... Why are we look, focusing on that? More important... I'm going to focus on something else. Okay. I was trying to... I was, like, drawing attention to how gross the weird... That's just... ...accounts gosh. of the time are. More importantly, she was watching from a balcony and she was wearing her Order of the Sun slash across her white dress. Uh-huh. So let's what? picture her like that. Yeah. Who cares what her boobs look like? She's got that important sash on. She's just casually wearing her sash. Of course. I'm just going to casually wear my sash today. Hey, this is her sash for being an excellent patriot, and the patriots have just won. True that. What better time? Yeah, to wear your sash. To wear yourself and, and prove yourself. Do you reckon she wore her sash like down to the shops as well? <laughs> yeah. Like, just, just I think going to down. Up, gotta get some bread in my sash. Yeah. I reckon yeah. she wore that sash all the time. Hopefully. Yeah. So yeah. she's wearing her sash. Yep. She's up on the balcony. And she's got a laurel wreath and she throws it down upon Bolivar as he passes and he looks up to see who threw this beautiful laurel wreath and their eyes meet and sparks fly and it's just love at first sight, Wow! I imagine. You've painted that so beautifully. Yeah. It's very cinematic. So later that night, the biggest social event of the year, a formal ball attended by everybody who was anybody, the two were formally introduced. Apparently, they spent the whole night together. They didn't leave until dawn. And then they spent the next 12 days together. What? Yeah. All right. So that was a good meeting. They got into that pretty quick. They did. Wow. <laughs> 12 days. Doing now, what? What do you think they were doing? Yeah, but I mean, like, did they? Okay. They were doing it, Alicia, for 12 days. Did they just do it? For... <clears throat> really? Yeah, I mean, he probably Did they had stop some... and go on a picnic at some point? You probably had some meetings in between. Twelve days. <laughs> oh, my God. Ow. You see, the thing is, Bolivar was something of a, a Don Juan, okay? Mm-hmm. No stranger to the odd affair, or two, or three. And so Manuela was one of many mistresses, but she quickly became his favourite. Yes. <laughs> About like the way you say that, like it's some kind of consolation. Look, I've got a lot of mistresses, but you're definitely my favourite. Yeah. Well, it does seem like this is a grand love narrative. It's kind of like talked about as this huge love affair that they had together. But the truth is that both of them had affairs on the side. Like they were both married and they both had affairs with other people who weren't just them. Yet at the centre of all of this grand affairs is apparently this story of this great love. This great romance between the two of them. Mm -hmm. So that's what that is. He quite liked her playfulness and her sense of humour. She was quite famous for being very funny, being very witty. She didn't take herself too seriously. But this didn't make her particularly compatible with her husband, the English Thorn. Uh, Apparently she was also a bit of a prankster, often tricked people with her disguises. She likes a disguise. This is important. It's going to come up. You're going to love what she does with some costumes a little bit later on. Oh, my God. I feel like we should wear disguises just more often in daily life. <laughs> no, you wait. we go to the shop into my sash to get my bread and also in like a glasses, moustache, <laughs> nose combo. I feel like the, the sash is not a particularly subtle, like... <laughs> it's not really a disguise. Unless it is the disguise, in which case it's oh, not true. your sash. No. Anyway. You're pretending to be somebody with a sash. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. You're going to love her disguises. Good. Like, it's, it's going to be great. One time she dressed herself as a man, complete with a moustache and an officer's uniform. Oh, she is wearing the glasses and moustache combo. Yeah, she Amazing. is. No, that image. Hold on to it because we're going to take it up 
several notches oh, a little bit later on. All right, okay? good, got it. But in this case, she just like was hanging out with her buds in this disguise on her horse, and they were like, "Who's that dude?" And then she like raced off and made them all chase her. So they're like, "Who is this person?" And for some reason, got into this big chase with all of these people. And she thought it was hilarious. She's riding all over the place. Um, made them track her down to figure out who she was. As you do. Yeah, that's the kind of gal. For shits and giggles. That's the kind of gal Manuela is. Bolivar, however, he had a lot of work to do. So they're 12 days together. He figures out that she's yep. amazing and hilarious and super mm-hmm. awesome. But No time for disguises. No time because he's got to run a newly liberated state. That is going to be time consuming. He's the ruler of this new giant state called Gran Colombia. And this is made up of Venezuela Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Panama. So when they were liberated, they were not liberated as independent states. They were liberated as this larger kind of, this is what I mean about his empire kinds of ambitions. Mm. Okay. So there's lots of different states included in Gran Colombia. And just like his secret idol, Napoleon, the road's calling. He's got more places to to vanquish, more cities to liberate. He's got to go. Manuela, though, she was not about to just return to her husband, not after meeting Bolivar. Not after um, that. When Thorne found out about the affair, he wrote to her and begged her to return. And she replied with, quote, no, 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 no. <laughs> For God's sake, man, 1,000 times, no. I will not go back to you. Get yeah. a picture. Yeah, yeah, I like Just that. Just in case that wasn't clear to <laughs> yeah. you. No. No. No, no, no. Well, part of no, <laughs> don't you understand? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. According to her, so she also wrote in other letters to him, um, she told him that the English excel at commerce and naval matters, but they lack pleasure in love and grace in conversation. So basically she was like, fuck propriety. She doesn't care about what she calls the, those social preoccupations that people have invented for the purpose of torturing each other. Oh, like she that. was going with Bolivar. Yeah. So she had to make do for a little while with letters to her lover while she stayed in Quito and he went off to do his liberating. But, it, you know, it wasn't enough. So in 1823, she's like, fuck this long distance thing. I'm coming. She joined the army. Hey. Yeah. Can I just ask quickly? Yeah. They communicated with letters for a yeah. while. This is an idea. This is something I really, really love about history. Do we know if those letters are, like, around? Yes. Like, have they been kept? Do they exist? Yes. I was going to get to oh, that at the end. Oh, were yes. you? Oh, okay, great. Sorry, I just skipped They ahead. do. Well, yeah, a lot of them do. This is actually – it's really an important element of how Manuela's story has made it into the public sphere. All of the official accounts leave her out. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. All right. Sorry, I have skipped ahead to, to talking about this. But this is precisely what intrigues me is yeah. the fact that – for so many women it is through their letters and communications with other people that we even know yeah. they exist and you know what the brilliant thing is that Bolivar before he died he requested that all of his like official documents and his personal effects be destroyed Ooh. and they didn't destroy them oh. which meant that the letters survived which meant that we get to read them, which means that we get to learn about the fact that Manuela was so important in this story, which otherwise she was completely written out of. Yeah, yeah, otherwise completely erased. Fabulous. Good. 
Yes. Keep going. So yes, the letters are very important. In the army, she made herself very useful as an archivist and as Bolivar's greatest confidant. In fact, apart from one of his other collaborators, Sucre, he trusted her above anybody else. So she would follow along with Bolivar's army a day or so behind. This is for her safety. And his next location was only ever known to Bolivar, Manuela, and his courier. Mm. So she was one of the only people in the know about where the army was going. And she was so trusted that one of her duties became operating a spy network. She still had a lot of old royalist acquaintances um, and she used these to gather information. So they often did spend a lot of time apart. She returned to Lima where there were royalist uprisings. And in fact, unfortunately, her own father had just been killed in a, a royalist uprising in Quito, which is sad. Mm. But back in Lima, she met up with her old bestie, her father's servant, uh, Yonatas, who joined her in her spy work. And while Yonatas worked the streets, Manuela worked the salons. And she was so good as an informant that she was named a colonel. All right. Which... Some people claimed Bolivar as being a bit nepotistic in yeah. awarding her as a colonel, but apparently she did earn it. Yeah, it does sound like she also did the work. She did. I'm, yeah. Yes. I have no doubt that she did yeah. the work. So she now had an official rank, and with it came real duties. In 1824, Bolivar moved the army over a ridiculous trail to Cerro de Pasco, northwest of Lima. It was a 950-mile trek across mountains, which caused him to lose 700 men to death nice. and desertion. How much is that in kilometres? I believe that would be about 1,500 kilometres, Alicia. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Is it? 1,528, actually. Oh, wow. That's yeah. very precise. Yeah. I do like to know my conversions from master yeah. kilometres. I do just want to point out that I did do that maths in my head. I she, didn't, I didn't get true. the 28, but I did get yeah. 1,500 Lauren did do the maths in her head. Yeah. That's true. And You're then reconfirms the maths yeah. with the internet. But other than <laughs> that, actually genuine Lauren brain. Yay. They won the battle that they were going to. Oh, that's this, what matters. On this long ass trek. So he went, fuck, and he lost, still lost 700. He still, yeah, and it's, you just wait. Oh, sorry. You just wait, okay, Alicia. Yep. So there was a battle here. They won, and then the royalists turned back for reinforcements, and Manuela followed them in pursuit. But Bolivar didn't. Oh. So this meant that she was present at this massive battle called the Battle of Ayacucho where there were 9,000 royalists and just 6,000 patriots. Whoa. They faced each other on a high Andean plain, but the royalists were humiliated. 1,800 of their men were killed. 500 officers were captured. 500 officers were captured. Yeah. 2,000 men were taken prisoner and the rest deserted. Mm. Got the um, fuck out of Dodge. They, they sure did. And this was the battle that ended the war for Spanish-American independence. Hooray! Was it They're really? Free. Yeah. Full on. Yeah. <laughs> and Manuela... She was fucking there. And you know who wasn't there? Bolivar wasn't there. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. And remember all that talk of disguises and moustaches? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to know what she did to prove that she was there? I do. I do, I do, I do. Guess. I don't know. Does it involve like bearing your breasts? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just thinking about pirates. No. So she wants to prove that she was at this enormous monumental battle. And so she cut the moustache from a dead enemy soldier, oh! which she had made into a false moustache oh! that she would wear with her military outfits at costume balls. What? Yes. Oh, that's. 
actually really fucked up. She scalped a moustache. That's, that's really. She scalped a moustache. Well, you can't scalp. No, a scalp is obviously it, from the scalp. Moustache doesn't grow. But I'm just scalp. like, I'm just saying, same that's, thing. That is. Oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> but also amazing. It's amazing. But also fucked and up. And fucked up. I agree. Yeah. How badass is that? It's pretty badass. She cut his moustache off and wore it to masquerade yeah. balls. I hope she washed it. Really I think this good. is probably one of the reasons why she was called the amiable mad woman. Yes, yes, right. I see where that comes yeah. from. Yeah, there's a couple of other things that will play into that, but I think this might be might be one of them. Apparently, yeah. apparently, not everyone else at these masquerade balls was super impressed. Not everybody thought that was super funny. By, by her moustache. Yeah, no, they didn't think it was funny. Yeah, they thought it was gross and fucked up. Yeah, unsurprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, stories were beginning to circulate about Bolivar's other affairs. He was a Lothario, remember? And as a celebrated hero, women really did throw him themselves at him wherever he went. And so Manuela, despite her successes on the battlefield, um, she became quite miserable. It seems that Bolivar was concerned about his reputation because he was now the ruler of Gran Colombia. Mm-hmm. So he had to be an, seen to be an upstanding you know, doing the right thing, respectful guy. Yeah. And apparently Thorne was also massively jealous and I quote, this is a quote, not my words, more jealous than the Portuguese. Um, (laughs) And maybe he guilted Bolivar into trying to break up with Manuela over her honour. So that's a theory that he might, he was writing letters to Bolivar and begging for Bolivar to return his wife to him. Mm. So some say he may have guilted him into it by saying, aren't you worried about your honour? Yeah, Etc. Right. But it didn't take. She was too amazing, and Bolivar could not let her go. Um, so despite a little bit of rockiness in their relationship for a while, he did then go on to profess his pure and guilty love for her. I like that, my pure and guilty pure love. And guilty. That's great. My pure guilty yeah. yeah that's how you seduce lauren anywhere now there in the world if you <laughs> seduce lauren just say well it's my pure and guilty love for you lauren but that's like it's an illicit love it is it's yeah yeah it's an illicit dead mustache yeah. wearing love yeah in 1826 with the war over she moved into his official residence now it turns out the rebellions can often take a little bit of time to smooth out true that you know yeah there's a lot of shit that needs to get sorted. Yeah. It's not just like peace and love the next day. It is certainly not. And no. so not everybody was uh, happy with Bolivar's increasingly dictatorial rule. The conditions for the troops were getting pretty bad in Lima and they weren't happy with Bolivar and they threatened another rebellion because that is how you fix one shitty rebellion is replace it with another, True. no doubt, far shittier rebellion. Yeah. So Manuela, though, she took it upon herself to see to this situation. She dressed herself in her colonel's uniform, sans moustache, I'm sure, I hope, and she visited the soldiers. She brought them food and money and basically convinced them not to become influenced by more rebels with ulterior political motives. And she was awarded for this. A sash? Being arrested. She was arrested. Not a sash. Not a sash for her. She did get arrested by and imprisoned for several months by the Peruvian authorities. Uh-huh. Um, and she was particularly pissed off about this, and rightly so, because she was not actually being kept on any official charges. She was neither a prisoner of war 
nor a criminal, and as such, as a citizen, and according to the Constitution, she needed to be told the reason for her detainment within 24 hours, or she should have been set free. Well, what was the reason for her detainment? What was there? What the fuck was the reason? I don't know. And neither did she. I think that everybody just thought that she was a troublemaker. That's bullshit. That's a miscarriage of justice right there. It sure is, and that's what she thought too. And she fucking took them to as many appeals as she possibly could. She was like, this is a miscarriage of justice. This is fucked up. And she was just like, I am appealing. I am appealing. I am appealing. And she appealed so much that she was finally set free. However, this incited the ire of a few of Bolivar's opponents. And she was expelled from Peru. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was banished again. Full on. So much banishment. Yeah, I know. (laughs) That was a common... Form of punishment. Things just amp up, and then it's like, I don't have to do with you anymore. You banished. Get out. Get the fuck out. Yeah. Don't know how to fix this problem. Just fuck off. Yeah. Banished. That's what. That's what happened. So she boarded a ship for Guayaquil. Guayaquil. I'm not sure. I'm sorry about the pronunciation. Along with some other officers and soldiers who had also been banished. But those on board the ship, they loved her. She became known as the Libertadora. After landing, she made her way back to Quito. And after some travel and escaping an earthquake, she eventually made her way back to Bolivar in Botoga. And here she enjoyed herself quite a bit, especially while Bolivar was away, when she entertained a few gentlemen callers. Oh, hello. Yes. And she was also known to throw some outrageous and quite politically motivated parties. At these, she not only brandished her strange moustache scalp accessory <laughs> and a bear that she kept as a pet, oh. which terrified a lot of people, oh, as not, you can imagine. I'm not down with that, Manuela. She also enjoyed some of her famous pranks. Oh, God. So, again... Amiable mad woman. Yeah. That's what she... You can get away with a lot. Has become known as. Yeah. So once she made an effigy in the likeness of Santander, who was once Bolivar's not Santana. friend. Not No, not Santana. Not Santana, the guitar uh, player. Santander. Yeah. He was now the vice president and had become Bolivar's adversary. So they made this effigy face a wall. A priest gave it its last rites. And then a firing squad tore into the back of it just like riddled it with bullets i'm sure she thought it was hilarious but not everybody at the party was very impressed it was quite a public political statement to make now she told bolivar that it wasn't her fault and that she was quite embarrassed by this incident but she was a known prankster and many don't believe this claim they think that she was Definitely responsible. What this incident did, though, was confirm to many that she did have quite extremist political leanings and perhaps did have far more behind-the-scenes power than she'd let on. She was no mere mistress, but a woman with a great deal of political influence. Mere Um, mistress? I find that insulting. Well, that's what everyone assumed. Yeah. You know, that she's just the mistress of Bolivar, who no one listens to some some chittering mistress but no she's the real deal like she was his spy she kept all of his documents and she was also his gatekeeper like if you wanted to talk to Bolivar you had to go through Manuela Mm. and if she didn't like you she wouldn't allow you to have an audience with him Mm. so she did have a lot of power and I'm sure that she probably got in his ear a lot even though he denies that she had any political influence I think most historians are like no she had a lot of political influence So Bolivar's reputation as something of a tyrant was increasing. 
And while still acting as a spy and informant, Manuela caught wind of a few concerning plots. In August 1828, there was to be a party, but Manuela, who was perhaps even more unpopular than Bolivar, you know, probably for wearing a dead guy's moustache to parties, she wasn't invited. But she received word from her various spies that at midnight, Bolivar was to be assassinated. Oh. She begged him not to go to the party, but he ignored her, thinking that she was just jealous that she wasn't invited and probably worried that he was going to bang someone else. Yeah. So she showed up in her military uniform, but was denied entry by the... Sans moustache. Sans moustache. Again. But was denied entry by the guard, who was one of the conspirators. Undeterred, she dressed herself again, this time in dirty old rags, and she stood outside the building yelling, like an old crazy woman, long live the libertador. She was so embarrassing that Bolivar had to leave the party to tell her off. So she's down there on the street, just like yelling in her rags, like, long live the libertador, I love you, Bolivar. Like a drunk, crazy woman. And Bolivar's like, oh my God, it's my fucking girlfriend. Why aren't you like me? I gotta go. Love me? Fucking crazy girlfriend outside. Everything for you. I'm mean, driving with other Daisy suit. I reach the party. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was my. Yeah, that was that's. I that think that's was, a good rendition. Yeah, thanks. So he left. Like, oh my god, my fucking girlfriend. I better go. She's probably <laughs> drunk. Meanwhile, the conspirators arrived. No Bolivar. He's, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. He. It's so worked. Good What's job. Up? Good job, Manuela. She had saved him, but the conspirators were not put off. And they weren't even particularly discreet about their next plan. So not only did Manuela hear about it and attempt to warn Bolivar, he also overheard a conversation about it. But he brushed it aside. He didn't believe her. He didn't believe that this was going to happen. But wait, um, he heard them talking about it too. So what, yeah. like, I don't know. I guess he was just like he had a big ego or something. Yeah. Or, no, I think he said that, oh, I've got some extra guards on. It'll be fine. Sure like, be the guards will get him. It's not a problem. This time they came to his home. So Manuela, she'd heard about this plot. She's like, fuck, they're going to go into his house. Better get there. So she came out over in the middle of the night. She had men's boots on over her slippers so that she could get there easier and faster. She found him in his apartment in the bath. He wouldn't believe her. She's like, Simon, get out of the bath. Put your clothes on. We got to go. And he's like, no, read me. I'm just reading. Would you read to me? What? Yeah. So she read to him. What? In the bath. This is weird. Yeah. And then they went to bed. This is taking a turn. What? I know. He was like, it's okay. I've got an extra guard outside. Let's just go to bed. And she was like, chill. All right, cool. Yeah, I don't know. I guess Here I was trying to get you out of the bath and take you to bed. You know what? Now that I think about it. Let's go to bed. Let's have a bedtime story and catch some Z's. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, Hey, he slept with a sword and pistol. So maybe they thought that that would be enough. What? Yeah. How did she go from like super duper concerned to like super duper like no everything's gonna be fine? I don't know. I feel like there's some details missing in the recounts. And I feel like what's about to happen next is everything's not fine. Like, everything's no. They didn't just like wake up in the morning and they were they like, go, oh, the guards got that guy who was gonna come. No, in. it's everything's fine. Shit goes ham, right? Shit goes ham. All right. Two groups of men arrived. The first was made up of about 12 men, the second of about 20. They killed the guards because there wasn't that many guards yeah. uh, and made their way through the palace. Manuela woke 
And she managed to rouse Bella. She's like, nah, shit, they're actually here. Okay, it's time to get serious. That bath bedtime story was a mistake. (laughs) It was, yeah. We really got to get our shit together. So she told him to get dressed and to arm himself. Now he wanted to barricade themselves in the room and um, maybe even open the door and fight them. But she was just like, no, bad idea, Simone. There's the window. You fucking climb out the window. I will catch you later. And he's like, oh, all right, I guess. So he did. He escaped out the window. Good move. Leaving her behind in the room. Yes. Leaving her behind in the room. Yeah. So this enormous group of men barged into the room because it turns out there's fucking like 32 of them. Doesn't matter about the barricade that they've set up against the doors. They got in. Unsurprisingly. Barricading the doors only going to hold that for so long. Yes. So they got in. She's standing there with a sword. And again, her beauty in the moment was noted by witnesses. <laughs> Look, I'm, I was in the middle of fighting this chick, but But fuck shit. me, she was beautiful. What a rack. Yeah. God, come on, people. Yeah. Anyway, so she's standing there with her sword and they barge in and she politely and demurely asked, what do you want? <laughs> What's up, guys? What are you here for? What can I help you with? Hey. Good to see you. Yeah. So, of course, they asked for Bolivar's whereabouts. Stash I could wear. Yeah. Are, you, are you guys into that? <laughs> I know it's a really niche fetish, yeah. but she told them that Bolivar was in the council room. They looked at the open window and the rumpled bed sheets and were like, are you sure he's in the council room? <laughs> and she was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, like he's definitely in the council room. Totally. And then they were like, okay, well, where's the council room? She was like, oh, I actually don't really know. Like, I've only heard him talk about it. I've never been there. And they're like, take us to the council room, probably with a gun to her head. She's like, all right. She stood her ground, though, and this is one lone woman, fresh from bed, probably still soapy with wet, sexy times, (laughs) facing down this huge group of men. (laughs) Sorry. That is an intense piece of description. Just trying to get you some... Like, they were in the bath. That's what I meant. Wasn't that, like, earlier in the evening? Look, I'm just trying to search. Maybe her hair's still wet. Okay. They didn't have hair dryers back then, Alicia. All right, sure. Carry on. So she took them to the council rooms to buy some time. Along the way, they found one of the guards. He was wounded, and so she stopped to help. She's like, no, guys, like, come on. Be human for just a moment. I'm going to help this guy. And he was like, where's Bolivar? And she was like, it's okay, he escaped. And they had their little thing for a moment. I think the conspirators caught on and they were like, Dirk is the fucking Bolivar. And she was like, no, he's not here. They couldn't find him. And so this is fucked. I'm going to get serious for a minute. She was beaten very severely. She was punched and kicked and hit with the flat of a sword across the face. And all the while she kept taunting them saying, go ahead, cowards, kill me, kill a woman. And after the attack, she was so severely injured that she was bedridden for 12 days. Yikes. Yeah. Bolivar, meanwhile, he had got to safety. He hid under a bridge for a few hours, and then he returned to the main plaza where he was received as a hero. But this might be something... For doing what? Yeah, for hiding really well. For climbing out a window Mm -hmm. and leaving behind his lady to have the shit beaten out of her. Yeah. What a hero. Yeah. Well, this might be something of an exaggeration because in his own recounting of the events in the official newspaper, he completely omitted Manuela's involvement in his escape, making it sound like he alone was responsible for barricading the room and flying out the window. He also omitted his three hours of hiding under the bridge in a panic. So yeah, maybe not such a hero after all. 
Now she, at the trial for these men, she testified against them, even though Bolivar did not want her to. He felt like if she testified, then she would be responsible for their deaths. And he was too chivalrous to allow for her to carry the burden of these men's deaths. Um, she scalped a guy's moustache. I know. She's, she doesn't care. She doesn't care. She does not care. She wanted them all executed. She was like, no, I'm going to testify. And she did. And I think it's not just for her own revenge. She thought politically that it was really necessary to send a strong message. Mm. It was kill 12 men to save millions, she said. Mm. That night under the bridge was not good for Bolivar. He wasn't a well man. In fact, he had low-key consumption for a while. Low-key? Yeah. He had been living with it for like a long time. Is, is, that, is that a medical term? <laughs> yeah. He did let it stop him from conquering half of South and Central America. True that. Not so low-key anymore. The night under the bridge exacerbated the condition. It was bad. Plus, his new empire, Gran Colombia, was crumbling around him. Insurgents in Ecuador and Venezuela rose to power. Ecuador declared itself independent and elected its own president and venezuela declared the bolivar never return exiling him from his own native country more banishment more banishment but while he was weakened in power and health manuela kept on she heard that as part of venezuela's celebrations of independence they were to burn effigies of bolivar and herself so she gathered her friends her old servant bestie yonatas with them dressed in her military uniform and stormed the party and i imagine that she tore shit up at that party meanwhile though bolivar succumbed to his tuberculosis and he died mm. leaving the love of his life manuela with nothing oh yeah, he did not include her in his will, despite the fact that they had spent many years together deeply in love and she had done many things for him and saved his life on two occasions. Yeah, right. Well, you know, no biggie. Yeah. The new government that was springing up as Gran Colombia fell didn't like this feisty, politically active woman who, despite her lover's death, was still hell-bent on continuing their cause. And so, guess what? Banishment? Banishment! Banishment! Yeah. Her story is a little bit sad from this point on, to be oh. honest. So she spent the first few years of her exile in Jamaica, and then she settled in Paita, a coastal town in northern Peru, where she was basically impoverished and powerless. Mm. So she had gone from these great heights mm. to after his death and the fall of the new... Gran Colombia to basically nothing. She opened up a tobacco store and she sold tobacco. And she also worked as a translator for North American whalers, oh. uh, most of whom were writing to their Latin American lovers oh. <laughs> while their wives were at home in Oy. North America. And so she was like translating their love letters. Yeah, she was translating their saucy, guilty love letters. Actually, that in itself is... Fabulous job that would be. Yeah, guess to who? To translate people's love letters. Guess who one of the whalers was? I don't know if he was one of the love letter whalers, but guess who one of the whalers was? Who? Herman, Herman Melville. Melville. I knew you were going to say <laughs> Herman Melville. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. So there you go. She had still some brushes with important people. <laughs> now, despite her newfound poverty, though, she refused any money that her husband Thorne sent her because he was still like, Come home to me, baby. Oh, my baby. God, Thorne's still around. <laughs> oh, get over yeah, it, Thorne. <laughs> she didn't want it, though. She was just like, no, I'd rather live in exile. 
Damn. I would rather be poor and have nothing but this moustache that I scalped off a guy yeah. than live with you. Yes, that's correct. Well, yeah. harsh burn. But porn. then, no, this gets sad because apparently he was murdered. Oh, that is sad. Yeah, he was murdered. But then she refused his estate. Oh, what? Yeah. Well, okay. One version of events is that she refused his estate. The other version of events says that she was denied his inheritance. Yeah, okay. So maybe she was denied and then she was just like, ah, didn't want it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Who can say? Or maybe she was actually just like, I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> I don't want his Don't money. want anything from him. Yeah. I'm happy. Unless he's got some stuff. <laughs> Oh, uh-uh. anyway. but she lived this way for the next 25 years, a quiet shopkeep who no doubt probably entertained all those around her with pretty remarkable stories of her past. In 1856, there was a diphtheria outbreak in Pater, but this wasn't what took her in the end. She had rheumatic pains and apparently she fell down the stairs. Oh, but because of the outbreak, she had to be buried in a mass grave and her belongings oh. were burnt to prevent the spread of the disease. Oh, wow. Yep. Oh. Yep. And so unfortunately she did end up quite obscure. But luckily not, like we said earlier, not everything was burned. So some of her letters did survive, particularly and importantly those of Bolivar, who, as I said, did request everything be destroyed, but it mm. wasn't, which is why we know about her today. Nothing brings the tone of a story down like mass grave. Okay, I can lift it back up again. Please do. Ready? In 2010, she was given a full state burial in oh. Venezuela. Yep. Um, so were they like exhumed the bodies? Well, they couldn't because obviously there's no way of telling which remains are hers. In a so what grave. they did is they took some symbolic soil oh, okay, right. yep. from the mass grave and then they put them in the National Pantheon of Venezuela to be interred beside Bolivar. Right. Yeah. So obviously it's not her actual remains, yeah. but it was a symbolic yeah. Yeah. burial and she did have full honours. Yeah. And she has now, because of like the survival of these letters and everything, we now know her as, so she's called the liberator of the liberator yeah, because basically, right. so Bolivar was known as the liberator yeah. and she was the woman who was basically responsible for his success. Yeah, so she's yeah. the liberator of the liberator. So there was posthumous recognition. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think a lot of historians agree that were it not for these letters, we may not know about how important she was or much about her at all. And there is a museum now for her in Quito. Oh, really? Where they have some of her artifacts, yeah, personal effects and yeah. belongings and stuff like yeah. that. So that would be a pretty cool place to go to. I wonder, as you said, she was actually given, like, the rank of a colonel. I wonder if that means that, though, she would have had to, still had to have been recorded somewhere. Do you know? Yeah. Like, in the, in the yeah, sort yeah, of, yeah. like, the <clears throat> military historical documents. Yeah, I think there was, there were records of her, and they knew that she was his mistress. But, for example, the official records make no mention of the fact that she saved Bolivar's yeah. life twice and her going to stop that second rebellion, those kinds of stories, like those stories that really give, yeah. you know, show. The extent, to what, to, yeah. the extent of what she actually did do. That's right. And yeah. how influential she really was. Exactly, that she wasn't just his mistress and she wasn't just another woman in the you know, Patriot Army. Yeah, yeah. She's a very fascinating individual. Isn't she? Yeah. yeah. And I had no idea she existed. I know. 
There are, look, to be honest, a lot of women in this period of time in this part of the world in South and Central America who are so fascinating. Mm. And I feel like criminally, I don't know enough about them. And I suspect that's got to do with the fact that being in Australia, we have a very kind of anglicized history you know, yeah. and a lot of this stuff just doesn't get to us. But now that I've kind of started to uncover it, oh, my God, I want to go deep. I put a lot more women on our future Deviant Women list because of my associated research with this episode. So, yeah. The revolutionaries are rife. Yeah. There are quite a lot to dig into yeah. there. I want to mention that. So my two main sources for this episode, one of them was by um, Jerome Adams, a book called Notable Latin American Women, 29 Leaders, Rebels, Poets, Battlers, and Spies from 1500 to 1900. So that book is full of excellent, excellent stories. The other book that I used, if anyone wants to read an entire biography of Manuela is by Pamela Murray, for Glory and Bolivar, The Remarkable Life of Manuela Science. Is there a film about her? I feel like there is a film about her as well. Uh, yeah, there is. There's a Venezuelan film about her called Manuela Science from 2000. Oh, okay, yeah. So we yeah. can try and hunt that up. But yeah, I imagine that would be a difficult one to hunt up. Yeah, and I wonder if there's one with subtitles. You'd think so. I could just like pause it every three seconds and try to translate. <laughs> yeah, that would be a fun exercise. That would be a really fun way to watch a film. For all of us. Yeah, because it would be me saying like, where is the something something? But apparently it's framed around her encounter with Herman Melville. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so it's when she's in Paita. An on, sorry, I'm reading this from the IMDb page. <laughs> uh, in 1856, a whaler arrives in Paita, Peru. On board is Herman Melville, who is astonished to learn that Manuela Saez, for eight years, the lover of Simon Bolivar, is still alive. Blah, blah, blah. Sounds blah, good. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All right. Well, so, good get framing on device. We were, good framing device. Yeah. Of course, you have to frame a woman's story through a man's story. Oh, fuck yeah. Because you wouldn't just want to have a woman's story yeah, on never its mind. own. Take that back. Yeah. I want a female frame. Yeah. Maybe we can tell it from the, the convent of the party nuns. Yeah. So I think today we should all don our scalps moustaches. <laughs> yeah. Go out and, and scalp yourself as a moustache, everybody. Celebrate. Celebrate Manuela. Manuela, the liberator of the liberator. Fabulous. Yeah. Where are we oh. going next? So next we're going to go to the far, 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 far north of the world. Oh, yeah. And we're going to go into mythological times. Excellent. Mythological times. We haven't been there for a little while. We haven't. I think we're going to get a little bit more mythological times this season. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm hoping to. Yeah. I really I want to. I'm going to try and do that much more Excellent. this season. Cool. So that's where we're going to be next time. Awesome. So in the meantime, if you want to catch up with us, you know that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at Deviant Women. And you can, of course, find us on iTunes and Stitcher and your podcasting thingy of choice. That's right. Lastly, if you would like any excellent merch, which includes T-shirts, pins and stickers, you can find us on Patreon. We are very grateful to our Patreon subscribers. And if 
you know, you would like to help us bring this podcast to you and make it bigger and better and do amazing things, you can subscribe for as little as $2 a month. You can. And that Patreon money goes towards helping us to make this podcast better. And one thing it's helped us to do is purchase a new microphone. Finally, we got a new grown-up microphone. We did. We got a real podcasting microphone. So thank you to our Patreons. Thanks, Patreons. That's all because of you that we it have this actually literally literally is we wouldn't have been able to afford that otherwise so, or if you want a t-shirt you can jump on etsy you can and you can also get uh, enamel pins on etsy as that's well right. those enamel pins are very fancy special pins they are they really are so you should get yourself one of them and as always thank you very much to brendan davies for the sound and to india hui for the music and we will be back with you again in another two weeks that's a fortnight for those of you in north america that's right and so until then goodbye see you.